All right. I'll pray while we're trying to figure things out. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you for all the good work that you're doing in people's lives. Thank you so much for Joe. He's such a blessing for so many of us. And thank you for the deep work you're doing in his heart, preparing him for his future. And Lord, we're all just going to be so proud as we watch you launch him and see him impact this world for eternity. And we just pray that many, many people would go out from this place uh, for your kingdom, for your glory, and just blaze through life. And uh, we just pray for your anointing, your blessing to be on our time together here. Help me, Lord, not to waste time or waste words. Help me to get to the point. And we pray we'd all be changed. Help me, Holy Spirit, to say what you want me to say in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay. On this lose our minds theme, I just, when I was preparing this morning, I was just thinking of a blind guy walking around with a cane. Um, because that's, spiritually speaking, that's really what we are. We're just, we don't think we are. We all think we're super slick, but we're, we're blind as moles, blind as bats. But, you know, bats have echolocation. We got nothing. We're just smashing into stuff. We don't have, we don't have a stick. We're, we're just in danger of every pothole and every, you know, 18-wheeler and every train. Spiritually speaking, we just, we're just helpless. And uh, so I'll pick up that theme here in a minute. Uh, the subtitle says, Why Revival Terries? Who recognizes that? Yeah, that's a Leonard Ravenhill book. Who's read that book? Put them high. Put them high. Homework. Read that book. Seriously. It used to be my very favorite book, but since then I've discovered, for like 10 years probably it was my favorite book, but I've discovered hundreds since I've delved a lot more into that old school library. But it is like you feel like it's going to combust in your hands sometimes it is so but basically the book is why the holy spirit is not moving right now in our midst like he has so often in the past that's what the book is about so let's let's get to leonard ravenhill this is leonard ravenhill um passed away in 1994 and that was just his passion was trying to get the church to yearn for long for experience a move of God again because we haven't seen it in this country in some quarters for over a century. Uh, so there's a lot of different versions of this with different titles. I chose this one because I needed a, something to contrast the black background there. But um, anyway, there's, there's a whole bunch of editions of this. But uh, yeah, we need to lose our minds at why revival theories. It, it means why, why isn't God moving? Uh, I just brought to mind a little account, little story. There was a school teacher in our last town who was a closet born-again Christian, but he didn't want anybody to know. He believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. He was a conservative across the board, but he wanted all the kids to think he was he was like the most popular teacher in the school. Brandon knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, but we had a uh, oh, it's good I bring up Brandon. Because we were talking about Brandon, and that's my story. Brandon's life was radically transformed, like happens when the Holy Spirit moves. And he said, well, in my church, we don't have, he called him Jonesy. We don't have any people like Jonesy. Said, don't you think that God moves in quiet ways and subtle ways? And I don't remember what he said. <laughs> I don't think he said imperceptible. But anyway, I said, uh, maybe that's just an excuse for God not moving at all. And he said, that's a good point. Um, God wants to move. A lot of us grew up in a church where we never heard a, a radical life change story. We never heard a radical answer to prayer. Why? Is the Bible true? Did God say, hey, I'm going to do a bunch of exciting things in the book of Acts, and then I'm just going to kind of shut it down, make it really boring for you all for you know a couple thousand years? Uh, or is it possible that God can move? So what is revival? Revival is when, whether it's the 1400s, the 1500s, the 100s, the 1900s, the 1700s, the Holy Spirit comes like he did in the book of Acts. 
And we're not taught about these things. This is going to be one of the seminars. We're not taught about these things in our seminaries and our Bible colleges, and certainly not in our more conservative churches. But let's just look real quick at the book of Acts. I've got a bunch of scriptures I want to go through. And interestingly enough, Matt, I'm ending on the one that you, we don't collude. I'm literally, I'm ending on the one that you brought up this morning. That's, that's ultimately where we're going. So I thought, well, that's a weird coincidence. But Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come. See a bunch of people, a few more than we have here, 120 people. They're in a room. They're just praying. They're fully consecrated to God. They're like, God, move. What else is there? If God's real and there's a heaven and there's a hell and we have the message of salvation and there's a devil that has this world enslaved, what else is there? Well, there's my retirement, my new car, putting an addition on the house. Actually, we're putting a new floor in our kitchen and all kinds of stuff. We got college and like new golf clubs. You know, I need a graphite head, you know, on my driver. All, all kinds of important. No, they're like, there is nothing else. Really, guys and gals, if there's a heaven and there's a hell and we've got the message, there are 120 people crying out to God. God, we are fully consecrated. We have ransacked our souls. We're not holding anything out. We're just empty vessels. We're waiting for your Holy Spirit to come and fill us. And we're going to go take over in Jesus' name. And so God shows up. When the day of Pentecost had come, they're all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house. Where they were sitting, there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. They rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. You can read about it yourself. So then, and then after the preaching and the, the crowd came because of the noise and the fire and the tongues and the commotion, so then those who received his, Peter's word, were baptized. That day there were added about 3,000 souls. So the church goes from 120 to 3,120 in a single day. Does this happen in history? It used to happen all the time, but we're not taught about it in our Bible-believing born-again churches anymore. It used to happen all the time. There's pastors that don't know this used to happen. God used to take over whole countries. R.A. Torrey, who's one of the real leaders uh, in the 1800s and early 1900s, he used to rebuke churches that the Holy Spirit would come in power and rock a community, churches that only had one once a year. And some churches don't even know that they're possible, haven't seen in their entire existence. And churches that have been around, haven't, that they used to experience this, haven't seen it in 100 years, 120 years. The Holy Spirit used to show up like this. It's not a fantasy. So anyway, but we'll get to there in a minute. Why does God show up? He shows up when we lose our minds, as in our worldly, human philosophy infected our own ingenuity, our own corruption, our own being, you know, we're conformed to the world. We lose that and we develop the mind of Christ. We develop the mind of Christ. We see Christ rightly. We proclaim Christ rightly. We surrender fully for his cause and kingdom that's what God's just waiting for. Charles Finney said, you can have revival whenever you want it. And I believe that. He said, it's just God's people are holding back what God wants to do. We're not sold out. We're not preaching Christ-like. Our brains are all conformed to the world. We're living for other things. We have idols. So the Holy Spirit's not going to come. So anyway... I've been thinking a lot about this, getting my mind straight, and I kind of feel like God's been putting me in almost like a hammerlock. Like, Ted, do this thing. I am the double-minded man in James. He says, pray in faith without any doubting. The one who doubts is like, surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded. I am so infected with the thoughts of the world and the philosophies of the world and the doubts of the world and the doubts of the church. Uh, and I'm realizing that. And I'm walking around regularly. Forgive me. I repent. Forgive me. Help me to get my mind exactly where the mind of Christ is because I'm miles and miles from that. And I'm not, I'm not flogging myself. And, oh, God doesn't love me. And God's going to love me when I get to the mind of Christ. No, if you don't start, if you don't understand the love of Christ and build 
from that point. Yes, it's going to become legalism and misery and condemnation. That's not that's not what I'm doing. I know I'm loved. I know I'm accepted. I know I'm saved. I'm in because of the grace of God. But I don't want to waste my life. And I don't know. I don't even know if I should. If God told me, Pat, you could you could live for anything you wanted to. Uh, you could be lukewarm. You could be totally worldly and sinful if you wanted to. Or you could be totally on fire for Jesus and blaze for my kingdom, my glory. And I'll give you the exact same reward when you get to heaven. I don't want to sin and I don't want to be lukewarm. Actually, God, I'll make a deal with you. You can give me less when I get to heaven if you would just help me to live it all out for your glory. I'm not in this for some mansion in the sky. I was like, what else is there to live for? People around us are dying and going to hell, and we got this message. And So anyway, but we have to lose our minds. So God's like forcing me, showing me how much doubt, how many categories that don't line up with the mind of Christ. So this verse has been, I've been meditating a lot on this one. Let no one deceive himself. There's several verses like this. You're deceived if you think this way. If any man among you thinks he's wise in this age, if you want the approval of the unsaved people in your life, if you want the approval of the lukewarm people in your life, if you want the approval of the dead church, if you want the accreditation of the theological accreditation board that, that, that accredits Bible-believing churches or schools as well as secular ones, if you need the rubber stamp of people that aren't fully yielded to God, if anyone thinks he's wise and sage, you have to become foolish. So some of you are in the little Greek club. Word is <laughs> moros. Uh, and an alternative form of this, the accusative, moron. Become a moron. Again, that's a anachronistic fallacy, but that's where we get the word moron from. Become a fool. Become the village idiot in the eyes of the world. Oh my goodness, they're just odds always all about Jesus. They don't care anything about money. They just let homeless people stay in their house. They preach in the park. Is that what the apostles were doing? Did they look like crazy people? We in previous weeks we looked at Jesus. His own family said he was crazy. God's like, if you are not willing, that doesn't mean we're stupid. Doesn't mean we're crazy. Doesn't mean no. It means we're completely sane. Because we share God's perspective on things. But to have God's perspective means the world's going to say you're crazy. But to have the world's perspective means God says you're crazy. And so God is forcing me to this place. Ted, you have to go further down this road. And it's easy for those of us in this church to kind of avoid this because we're doing more than most. Most people in this church pray. If, if the, I mean, some of you are visiting, but... As far as people that this is their church and they know what we're up to and they're kind of with the program and why we exist, it's normal to pray for one to two hours or pray and be in the Word for one to two hours, not a month, every day. That's just normal. It's normal to share your faith. We have wonderful testimonies of transformed life in this place. So it's easy to think because on a scale of one to ten, we're a point five, and maybe the church we grew up in never saw anything. Nobody prayed. <laughs> This is a funny story. Lynette was asked to be on the evangelist, what, the chair of the evangelistic committee at this dead church she was at. She said, what's evangelism? They said, we don't have any idea, but it's just been this committee that's been here for so many years. Uh, you want to chair it? I guess have bank sales or, I don't know, kitty clubs or something. I don't know. I don't know. What, what did you do? So, so the deception is because maybe we have a pulse. Maybe we've seen God do some things. It's cool answers to prayer. Maybe you can let someone to Christ. That somehow we're way out there, but God's showing me, no, 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 no. You, you have a pulse, but maybe you're not off life support. Maybe we're barely not off life support, but you're certainly not, you know, an Olympic champion by any stretch of the imagination. God says you have to become a fool so that you can become wise. The wisdom of the world's foolishness to God it is written, he's the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reason of the wise. They are useless. This is all through the Bible. God's wisdom 
it's something we're completely blind to when we're living in this world, when we're going to the university, when we're going to dead churches. So we need the mind of Christ. And we need to, we need to see Christ clearly. We need to see Christ rightly. And when we see Christ rightly and we see Christ clearly and we embrace who he is and what he's done, the, like uh, John 7, when we take in the living water, then we can give out the living water, then God comes in power and he backs us up. So we're not living in a revival here, but we certainly got a trickle going on. You know, we got real living water. So someone comes, and God's doing miracles. People are being delivered from all kinds of stuff. Uh, but God wants to do more. And God says, look, you need to push further away from being conformed to the world and more towards the mind of Christ. So as I was meditating on this, I guess what I want, want us to think about, though, is what Christ? What Christ? Isn't there just one? So Paul told the Christians in 2 Corinthians, I'm afraid that as Eve was deceived by the serpent, serpent's cunning, this is, of course, back in Genesis, Satan distorted Eve's perception of who God was. Paul says, I'm afraid that your minds will be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So what Satan is always up to is trying to pervert, distort humanity's understanding of who Christ is. And even after you're born again, he's doing that with you. And I say this all the time. You don't know when you're deceived. Nobody thinks they're deceived. Nobody's like, you know what? My view of Christ is really perverted and crazy. I'm just going to run with it. You know, I'm just, I'm just going with it. Everybody thinks they're right. But there's like 357 different varieties of, I was just looking at some. Yeah, this is Jesus was a vegetarian. I saw that. Um, oh, really? What did he do at the Passover? Eat tofu? No, that's lamb. He ate fish and lamb, and I mean, he was a, not a. So, well, here's there's a nice one. Jesus with an AR. And Susan said, "Don't put this one up because it is blasphemous." But there's one. He's an LGBT, QRSTVWXYZ rights advocate. Um, or he's a Muslim. He's a Muslim prophet. He's a. But even within the Christian Church, we have wildly different visions of who. Jesus is the angry Jesus, the Catholic Jesus, the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, the Mormon Jesus, the, the fundamentalist Baptist Jesus, the legalistic Jesus. The we There's millions of varieties of Jesus. So here's just a whole bunch of pictures of him. Do you have the right Jesus? Could that be your problem? Oh, I know I got the right Jesus because I grew up in a Christian home. The only reason you grew up in a Christian home because your parents were Christian. Like Joe said, that you have to come to a point where you're like, were my parents crazy? Most people, they're only the religion they are because that's where they grew up. So you can easily shake them up by saying, so if your parents were Buddhist, you'd be what? Whoa, never thought of that one. Buddhist, I guess. If your parents were into witchcraft, you'd be what? If your parents were Mormons, you'd be what? So how do you know? Jesus said there's false Christs and false prophets are going to litter the world. How do you know you got the right one? Well, one way you know you got the right one is that God will come in power and back you up. If you've never seen anything powerful, if you're not, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He's talking to religious folks, and some of them had memorized the entire scripture that was extant in their time. He said, you guys are worn out because you're doing it wrong. He said, come to me, learn of me, learn from me, learn about me. I will give you rest, peace, rest, joy, power. When we get it right, God backs us up. One of the, the reason that we're in a, in a desert wasteland in America right now is because I think the church is doing so many things wrong. And I know this bothers people, but, you know, the Bible says, Paul says in the last days, they're going to accumulate teachers for themselves just so they can get pats on the back. Most people want to go to the church and hear, you guys are great. Yeah, I know you guys are doing as best you can. You're trying your hardest. 
my pet peeve, by the way. Nobody tries their hardest in anything except when a woman gives birth. That's about it. There's no other category of life where we ever try our hardest. That's, that's self-pity talk. But anyway, that's what we want to hear in our churches. You guys are great. And I know how hard you're trying. And you, God just is happy with you just in exactly where you are. And Well, God loves you, but he's got big plans for us. And he wants us to take over the planet in the name of Jesus and reconcile people to him. And if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. And so God says, hey, get with the program. Figure out who Jesus is. Live it. Proclaim it. Lose your mind. And then live all out for his glory and his kingdom. God said, if you do that, I'll show up in power. That's what we're going to go over in history, mostly from 1720 to about 1920. And when I first discovered revival literature, I can to this day I can read it, and I'm like in tears. Are you kidding? Are you what? It's it's literally it's exactly like the kind of stuff that was going on in the Book of Acts. But Jesus actually told his disciples once. He said, "You know the same things that I do." He said, "You're going to do," and he says, "You're going to do greater things." And sometimes when you're reading these, you're like, "This is it is astonishing, astounding." I'm going to tell you about one here in a minute. But we've got to get Jesus right. And there's a lot of wrong perceptions. But once you, when you are getting him right, uh, people are going to think about you, the religious people, theologians, the popular pastors. Um, it, and, I, and I almost hesitated to do this. But you're going to have a label, something like this put on you. You are a fool, a moron, an idiot. You can't take it literally. You can't take it at face value. You can't. Well, I'm saying, well, if we don't, uh, we're never going to see the Holy Spirit move. If we if we explain away hell, you know, all the bros lead to God, and God lets you in if you're sincere. Did you get that from Jesus? You know, they used to believe in the de demonic, but now we're so advanced. Jesus was kind of silly and naive. We're so naive. We're so advanced now. We know it's all just chemicals, and it's all psychology and psychotherapy, and it's demons. That's just kind of a silly, you know, fairies and demons and trolls and that kind of stuff. It's um, so condescending to God in the flesh, the creator of the universe, who came from the other side and said, nobody knows what's going on up there except me, so I'm coming to tell you what it's about. And then we kind of... You know, hell, come on, that's, that's kind of medieval, isn't it? God would never do that. A loving God would. Did you get that from Jesus? So anyway, the world's going to say you're a fool, but when you're getting it right, God's going to come, and that's validation that you're doing it right. And so for me, I've never, I have seen God come on whole rooms full of people, and that's pretty fun. Uh, I regularly see God touching people in life-transforming ways, and that's pretty fun. Uh, and I'm hearing from you guys that God's working your life, but I want more. But God's saying, look, you're getting out of this what you're putting into this. And you've got to shake off the crazy that you've picked up from the world. Don't be transformed. You know, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get in the word. So here's a guy. Anybody know who that is? Huh? <laughs> Tesla. No, uh, this is Evan Roberts. And uh, I mentioned something, I don't remember where, about the Welsh Revival the other day. And so a lot of people are like, hey, tell me about the Welsh Revival. And what about this, the Welsh Revival? So I was doing some reading on the Welsh Revival. Uh, well, I don't know. It has to be satanic, like a conspiracy to keep this information under wraps. Go online, do some reading, especially primary sources. Don't read what the scholars say about. They, they, they put their own interpretive spin on it. This, this guy was 26 years old. I, just different facts about his life. He was obsessed with the glory of God, the kingdom of God, the salvation of souls. And he would pray from 1 till 5 in the morning. That's crazy. Would that have been crazy to Jesus, who prayed all night? Would that have been crazy to the apostles? No, it's only crazy to us because we don't think like Jesus. So he'd pray uh, from the time he was really young. He memorized huge swaths of scripture, which isn't crazy to you guys, but to most Christians it is. How many of you guys have been like given kind of a ribbing for how much you're memorizing scripture by other Christians? Like that's not necessary. Two and a half of you, five and a half, nine, no, see more hands. Yeah. But I'm like, look, if that's the book God gave us, we should know the whole doggone thing. 
every word of it. And I give you guys a hard time. You can tell me seven seasons of Friends verbatim. You can give me all Beyonce's lyrics or whatever. But you can't memorize a book of scripture. It's ridiculous. That's the word of God. That's what he's given. So memorize a scripture. He's a man of prayer. He, he was just, he became obsessed to be fully yielded to God, full of the Holy Spirit. He had a friend and he said, do you think God could bring 100,000 in our country to Christ in a year? And they pressed into God until they knew it was going to happen. That's crazy talk. Hmm. Jesus said, believe what you're going to receive before you receive it. He's thinking like Jesus. He's talking like Jesus. And guess what? The glory of God eventually falls on whales. All kinds of wild stuff happened before that. I don't even, some of it's so bizarre, it would only make sense if it were in the book of Acts. But even if I tell you, it would say, oh, that's crazy. That's mass delusion. That's mass hysteria. God took over whales for a year and a half. And uh, I think it was the first six months, there was 100,000 people. And eventually, there was over a million people that came to Christ. But this move of the Holy Spirit ended up hitting, just go online and read about it. People started coming from other parts of the world and bringing this fire to other countries. Why don't we know about this guy? Why don't we know about these revivals? This hit America in 1905 and swept America from coast to coast. So, it's still possible, and this, some people think this was the most far-reaching revival ever, but from about 1720 to about 1920, this is what evangelical, Bible-believing, born-again Christians were after, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. we got to get clear on who Christ is, we got to fully consecrate ourselves, we got to be full of the Holy Spirit, fully into this mission, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come and back us up. If you really want to know more about this revival, this guy is the best I've ever found as a revival historian. I think he's Oxford PhD, but he also experienced revival, J. Edwin Orr, and he wrote a book called The Flaming Tongue, and it's talking about all the revivals that were happening around this time around the world, uh, um, but, the, but the most impactful is probably the Welsh revival, but... Um, Pastors don't know about this. Professors don't know about this. Your average Christian in the pew doesn't know about this. Theological professors. And who's experienced anything like this is even, I mean, even on an individual level, somebody transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, like in the book of Acts. <clears throat> so how are we going to get there? <laughs> I don't know how. It's just it's a it's a good illustration. I remember when when Sophia got her head on straight. She said it was like it was, this was with the doctrine of God, but she said she was like she took her brain and she emptied it out in the trash can. Right? Isn't that something like you said? Yeah, you said God. I'm, it was it was about her theology, her beliefs about God. She realized they were so wrong, trashed them, and then she's like, "All right, God, let's start over. What do you got?" Well, on so many things, that's what the church needs to do if we're going to see the Holy Spirit move. And for one thing, go study these people. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they're doing. And see if what they're saying and doing doesn't line up better with what the Bible says. What we do right now is we have a tendency to just excuse everything. I know Jesus said that about money, but he didn't live in the 21st century. And I know Jesus said this about forgiveness, but he was never sexually abused. And I know Jesus said this about anxiety, but blah, 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 blah. And I know Jesus said this about that. And then when we look at this list, we're like, then... In what sense do you and Jesus really agree about anything at all? Well, didn't he say, thou shalt be nice? Isn't that, is that some real important thing? No, he never said that. But that's kind of what everybody's kind of dumbed him down uh, to be. Um, but you read these people, they're thinking like Jesus, they're acting like Jesus, they're pushing in, and the Holy Spirit's coming in power. And I know it's possible because I've never seen a whole country ablaze, but I've seen a person's life transformed. I've seen God come upon a whole bunch of people and the Holy Spirit, you know, <laughs> again, pulling up files. Of what I've mentioned this before, but one time I was in a prison, I saw the whole room fall on their knees, start crying out to God for mercy. Wouldn't that be fun? I've seen, I've seen, I've seen it in Bangladesh. I've seen it in Russia. I've seen God come on whole rooms full of people, but these guys are saying, hey, why stop there? You can have God will take over whole countries, like whales. 
So, <clears throat> yeah, that's a lot of scripture right there. I want to convince you that you have to lose your mind. 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says, we speak a wisdom among those who are mature, spiritually mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, hidden wisdom. Means apart from God, you can't have any access to it. Hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Wisdom, which none of the rulers of this age have, uh, has understood. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But this is how inaccessible it is to us. Things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has not entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. But to us, he revealed them through the Spirit. So we can't have access to them, but we're this blind man. How do we get access to them? If you keep reading, he then says, ultimately, this, this information will, will develop in us the mind of Christ, the perspective that Jesus had. The reason Jesus was so incredibly effective in healing people, touching people's hearts, bringing people out of darkness, dispelling demonic forces, was because he had a different perspective than we do. So the Bible says this perspective is completely off limits to us, but the Spirit can give us access to it. So we don't have to be these blind people walking around, banging into things, falling into ditches, getting run over. <clears throat> so real quickly, I just want to talk about how, how do we get this perspective? Overcoming our blindness. Well, in the first place, of course, you need the Holy Spirit and you need to be properly born again. <clears throat> I love it when I get to share the gospel with somebody who's never heard it before. And by God's grace, I got to share the gospel with someone who's never heard it before. And it was Dom's brother. Where's Dom? Yeah, your brother. He'd never put the pieces together before. I just loved it. And Marlene, I remember when I shared the gospel with her. 37 years old, never heard it before. Wow, Tad, you really got it going on. Yeah, I do this about once a month, maybe. I'm really an apostle. I mean, I, I'm lame, but still awesome and fun. And uh, God will still use a lame old like me because I share Christ occasionally. But the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this. Again, we're blind until we're born again. But you share the gospel and someone accepts it. And boom, they now have access to all this information. So the first thing that needs to happen, you need to be born again. Jesus answered and said to him, Nicodemus, a dude who knew the Bible in probably three or four different languages, the whole thing, the teacher of Israel. He said, unless you're born again, you can't see diddly. My paraphrase. Can't see anything, Nick, Nicodemus. You can't see anything without the Holy Spirit's help. So he says, you need to be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and all through John, water is the Spirit. He's alluding to the book of Isaiah, so this is not about baptism or anything. The water is the Spirit. The Spirit is the thing that opens your eyes. Jesus is telling this religious guy, unless you're properly born again, you will always be a blind man. Do you know that you have been born again? If you haven't, you're like, I don't like that born again stuff. Jesus said it. So, you have to be properly born again, and that will at least give you access to the information. If you've not been born again, come talk to me because you're a blind man or woman headed for hell under the power of darkness. That's Jesus's words. You have to be born again. But let's keep moving. What does the Holy Spirit do? He, overcoming our blindness. He gives you the Spirit so you can understand the Word of God. Apart from the Holy Spirit. Do you guys remember trying to read the Bible before you had the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, what in the world is going on here? It's Maybe I get credit just for reading words that make no sense. Like, it'd be like me picking up an advanced math text and trying to read the formulas and get something out of it. But the Holy Spirit gives us, he opens up the meaning, the real meaning of the Word of God. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. To this day, whenever Moses, and he calls Moses the foundational scriptures, because Moses wrote them, but you could also refer to, refer to the entire extant scripture in his day as Moses. It says, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart, the unregenerate, the lost. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, that's when they're born again, 
the veil is taken away. So you can begin to understand the things of God. So you got to be born again. Then you go to the word. You don't go to mystical experience. You don't go to dreams and visions because it's easier and it's a cheat. You go to the word of God like your life depends on it. That's what Jesus said. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So how do we get out of our blindness? Be born again. Go to the word. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit will open it up. Now, the Lord is the spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How many of you guys remember what it was like to be in bondage? Me, crazy man, voices in my head, weird compulsions, depression, uncontrollable, miserable night terrors and now i'm free and it's how do you know you're free because you're free and it's if you're not free don't argue with me about your theology say hey maybe i'm that deceived person how do i get out of this where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom but the spirit the word and what's the word going to reveal to you the word is going to reveal to you the real jesus that is the centerpiece of the Word of God. The centerpiece of it all is the real Jesus in the sea of counterfeits out there. How do you know you're getting the real Jesus? Because he's the key. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Once you start finding the real Jesus and his heart and his love and that he's the revelation of the Father, and you let God destroy what you thought you knew about Jesus and God and salvation, and you start embracing the real thing, so this is just interesting. I thought I'd do a little list of we deceive ourselves. We think maybe we were really born again. Maybe we do study the Bible. But do we actually think like Jesus on every subject? Or are we making excuses as to why we don't have to think like him on this subject and that subject and this subject? And this is why I think I only get people under 30 that listen to what I'm saying with an occasional exception. I always have like the people who are older, like, well, I'm here. Um, but really it is. Some people over 30, they're just like, like, look, I got this thing figured out. Don't, don't mess with me. You know, I, I, I'm steady. I got my family. I got my assets. I don't, don't mess with my Christianity. So where do we disagree with Jesus? Oh man, we could be here all day. Let's just, Let's just look at a few categories. Let me count the ways. Ignoring the poor. Hmm. And I'm not saying this church is all bad. I know good things happen at this church, but there was a big church that wanted to get behind us when we got started. And we talked, and it was going all right. We went out there a couple times. and uh, We said, but we don't do anything at all with the poor. And I was like, eh, man, we ain't going to work out very well because Jesus targeted the poor. If we were thinking like Jesus, the poor would be way up our list of priorities as a church. The Bible says that over and over and over. It doesn't say preach to God. He, I mean, sure, rich can come on in, the middle class can come on in, the comfortable can come on in. He targets the poor. Living for financial security. You find me one verse about financial security in the New Testament, and I will give you $20. Well, there's that parable about that is using a worldly analogy to make a spiritual truth. We don't take the worldly side of the parable, which pastors do all the time. That's like saying Jesus said he's coming like a thief in the night, so let's study what it means to be a thief. Because that's what being Christian is, I guess. I don't know. It's it's nonsensical to take the, the worldly side of the parable that he's trying to bring you to spiritual truths. But that's what we do because we want to focus on financial security. You'll pack out a financial security seminar. Jesus did not give a rip about money. And I know this is stomping on our toes, but what does that tell us? We don't think like Jesus. Oh, but we but there's exceptions why we don't have to go to the poor and why we can live for financial security. Not loving our enemies. Uh, who has who uh, said a prayer for the president lately? You're supposed to. Love, bless, 
and maybe you said, yeah, I'm all for this president, then did you pray for the last one? Christians right now on both sides are so full of hatred. What about what about uh, Muslims? Do you, if if Jesus, one of his most famous parables, taught us anything, the Good Samaritan, it was that you're supposed to pour out your life for your enemies, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute. Well, Jesus, he didn't he didn't live in the age of terrorism, and he has no idea. The left, they've gone bonkers. I mean, they're just. No, the right, they're great, yeah. But hatred. We, but we let ourselves off the hook. Dismissing the demonic. Demons are, they are the antagonists in the Gospels. If you take them out, there's no storyline. But we read our Bibles as if, and we talk as if, and we live as if. They're not, there's nothing, the demonic isn't real. Oh, so Jesus was just kind of silly and naive. And your counseling degree is so superior to his approach, and that's why you're getting the returns like he was. No, we don't think like him. Excusing sinful behavior. We just had, again, LGBTQRSTV, WXYZ celebration month in the church. We're making concessions. Yeah, you know, homosexuality is fine, and... Um, Engage company, you know, couples can sleep together. And, you know, when you fall out of love as a Christian, yeah, go ahead and get divorced and remarried. And we're just winking at everything and it's all fine and it's all good. And Jesus says, if you even look at a woman wrong, your heart is sick. We don't think like him. And we're like, oh, why isn't God present? Why are we in the, you know, the other day I was talking about Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we hung up our harps. We couldn't sing. I, you know, go to church. I don't feel like singing anymore because God's so distant. My captors, their life is miserable. We excuse sinful mindsets. And I know this is a very sensitive issue, but anxiety is not God's gift to us, nor is depression. Jesus says, don't do it. And right now the church has no clue a lot of, in a lot of quarters what to do about it. So we just say, you know, it's God's gift to you and it's your thorn in the flesh or whatever. I don't want a thorn in the flesh. I don't need a thorn in the flesh. Neither do you. I, I can't say this for sure, but I don't think any of you have been to the third heaven. I don't think any of you have raised the dead. I don't think any of you have penned any books of scripture. You really don't have a whole lot to be proud about. So you don't need a thorn in the flesh like Paul did. You're just average Joe or Jane trying to survive. That's pretty arrogant to think that you and Paul need a thorn in the flesh to keep you hungry. You just don't have a whole lot to boast about. So the norm is freedom, joy, peace. But Jesus said, don't do it. And we said, yeah, but I can do it. It's a chemical imbalance. It's just, you know Whatever we think it is. Religious pluralism? Are you guys getting what I'm saying here? Where do we think like Jesus? Is, is your relative who is suicidal, self-harmer, has voices in their head, did it ever cross your mind that they're under demonic attack, they're demonized? Jesus would have walked in the room and taken care of it. When someone is sick, do you immediately think, I think God's will is that they be healed. Jesus was all about healing. So we wonder, where's God? Where's the Spirit? Why isn't he moving? The, real, the reality is, in God's, I'm, I'm not looking down. I said, God, help me not to make people feel like I'm looking down on them. God is working me over. We think like the world. We act like the world. The church is infected by the world. We don't think like Jesus, and that is why the Holy Spirit is like, I'm just not interested in backing you up at this point. What else do we got? I'm <laughs> not preaching the gospel. I will. I hope this is okay. Lynette's father just passed away. He visited my old church. And I always try to preach the gospel. He'd been sitting in church his whole life. He came up and he was all excited. I didn't think people preached that anymore. 
Well, they don't really. She said, go in all the world and preach the gospel. What's the gospel? You're a sinner and you're hellbound and you're separated from God, but God loves you. And Jesus died an atoning death for your sin so that you could be at peace with God. You need to repent. You need to believe that. You need to yield to God. Let him fill you with his spirit and start living for him instead of tearing up your world as a selfish little terrorist monster. Let him change your heart. He wants you in his family, but you need to be forgiven. You need to believe in Jesus' death, prayer, and resurrection. Let him change your heart. We can go days, weeks, months, years. Some Christians have never shared their faith with anyone. I'm into friendship evangelism. I like have barbecues and take people to football games and fix cars and stuff with all my unsafe friends. I'm just hoping for some someday for no good reason, just going to fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? Never going to happen. You need to preach the gospel. So anyhow, overcoming our blindness, we also have something else to look to, and this is an athlete. So this is the verse that Matt conveniently started with, Hebrews 12. We have a great cloud of witnesses. We got people who went before us, not just in the Bible. We got D.L. Moody, and we got Amy Carmichael, and we got Hudson Taylor. We just don't read their books anymore. We just recreated some crazy version of Christianity that has almost no correspondence to the mind of Christ in the 20th, 21st century. And, and we're using this to eclipse the reality of what the New Testament teaches and the experience we could be having of God. But we have a great crowd of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every encumbrance. Why don't we lay aside all this junk we've picked up? And I like talking to young people. You guys got to do it, man. My generation, we already blew it. We didn't want to go into the promised land. We wanted to complain about leeks and not, you know, leeks and onions in Egypt and all the great things we had back in the bondage of Egypt and why God is so mean and et cetera. You guys go take the land. You guys go slay the giants. But shake off the encumbrance of this ridiculous stuff that my generation taught you, that you pick up in Bible colleges and seminaries right now, go back and look at the people that got it done, lay aside every encumbrance and sin, of course. That's your eating disorder and your pornography and your immoral relationship with your boyfriend, girlfriend. Basically, that's laying it all down and saying, God, I'm going to do it your way. Now, of course, you got to give me the power to do it because that's empower you know, impossible. So fill me with your spirit. I will do it your way. Let us run with endurance a race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the right Jesus. Not, not the 357 different varieties that are floating around that Satan has littered the world with. The right Jesus. The Jesus laid out clearly in the New Testament. The Jesus that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us if we truly yield and are born again and open ourselves up to the revelation that he wants to give us. The author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, here's one of those athletes. There's so many of them. They saw the power of God. They saw the glory of God. You guys can have it. Or you can chicken out like your parents did. Sorry, parents. I have kids too, and I chickened out. Or you can say, let's, Joshua, let's take the land, man. Let's go slay those giants. I, I, I'd like to think I'm Caleb, you know, and maybe some of your parents are Caleb. Caleb was 80 years old. And he didn't say, just let me go in. He said, let me have the most difficult mountain. I'll take the mountain with the biggest giants. Let me, let me, I hope I'm a, I can go in with you guys. But something's got to happen in the church. You got to start thinking right, doing it right. And that's going to be that seminar. We're going to look at the people who did it, the people that experienced the glory. We've been in a drought. We don't even know it exists anymore, but it does. Uh, the thing that got me started on Evan Roberts was um, I talked about the sermon he preached that ignited the revival. These sermons are always the same. Get rid of all known sin. Of the heart, of the hand, of the mind, of the eyes. Get rid of it. He would have rid of all questionable habits. This was the first sermon he preached that lit it off. But if you look through all that, they're, they're all, they all look almost the same. Obey the Spirit. Now. Now. 
If he's telling you to come up and talk to me and get saved now, do it now. If he's telling you you've got a sin issue, you need to confess, do it now. If he's telling you to move into the discipleship house, do it now. If he's telling you to call your parents and repent, do it now. If he's telling you to share Christ with your roommate, do it now. So get rid of all known sin, all questionable habits. Obey the Spirit promptly. Confess Christ publicly. Does everybody you know, do they know you are a Jesus freak? Are you too ashamed? Too sophisticated, too enlightened, too pluralistic. That you're not one of the apostles. You're not doing what they're doing in the book of Acts. So, anyhow, this was, I don't even know how long it was, but I see it's, uh, let's see what time it is. Oh, beautiful. Lunch. Lunchtime. But uh, we don't have the mind of Christ, and that's the problem. God wants to come in power. He will come in power. He has come in power. I'll end with. All of these, I noticed last week with my application, some of you guys were taking pictures of it with your phone. If those icons mean anything to you, maybe this is helpful. But the Spirit is who brings us out of our blindness by driving us into the Word, not mystical experience. That is a deception going on right now. If you go to a church that's not driving you into the Word, and they say we're all about the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to have dreams and visions and experiences apart from the Word, run out of that church. And go to a church that's going to have the Spirit drive you into the Word. It's going to teach you about the real Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit's going to back you up. And you're going to start seeing miracles. Maybe like our church, you'll start seeing a little trickle. And let's not be satisfied with a trickle. And let's just say, God, continue to ransack my mind until I have the mind of Christ. And we also have history. We've got these people all through history that did it so well. Called the Lost Library. Literally thousands of books journals, articles, thousands of them that we have access to about people that experience the glory, and we can have it again. So let's lose our minds. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you for putting the pressure on me. It's been actually kind of scary at times, just not letting me live in that mushy middle ground. Um, but Lord, I want to be all in. I want to be all out for your glory. I want to see Christ rightly. I don't, I, I probably do care what the world thinks of me. I don't want to care. I want to die to this world. I want to live all out for your glory. Help me to do that. Help my brothers and sisters here. Create a yearning in us, Lord, a yearning, a hunger that, that causes us to get up in the middle of the night and cry out to you for a visitation from heaven to purge our souls and empty ourselves so you can fill us. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.